I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to Daniel and chapter 6. I'm sure you've heard the old joke about the guy that ended up in prison. Bob was lying there in bed the first night in prison. He heard some guy way down the cell block call out, 47! And there was just laughter all up and down through the cells. And he uh, kind of thought that strange. And then a few minutes later, the guy in the cell next to him uh, called out, 103! And again, there was uproarious laughter all over the place. And curious, Bob asked his cellmate, what in the world is going on? And the guy said, well, you know, we've all been here so long. We've heard everybody's jokes so many times. For convenience sake, we just gave each one a number. And Bob said, well, it makes sense. Hey, can I give it a try? The guy said, sure. Bob called out. He said, 94! That's exactly what it sounded like. It was dead silent except for a few groans. Oh. Bob said, what, what, what went wrong? What's, what's the matter? Isn't 94 funny? Cellmate said, well, sure it is, but not the way you tell it. Today we come to one of the most well-known, one of the most well-loved stories of all the Bible, Daniel in the Den of Lions. The danger of this story, though, is to think that we might know it so well that we get tempted to assign it a number. Yeah, been there, done that. We assume we know what's there and we, we move on. There's so much for us to learn from this as has been the other stories here in the story section of Daniel. Really, chapter 6 brings to end the story section of Daniel. And uh, these stories are familiar, but there's so much to learn, especially about how do we live as godly people in a pagan culture? How do we live in a, in a world that may well be hostile to our faith? Can we survive if the government is against us, if our rights are stripped from us? Those questions plagued the Jews as they were taken captive to Babylon. They have been an issue for believers ever since the, the church was founded in those early centuries. They are issues today for believers around the world and questions that even believers here in America have begun asking in recent years. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom those satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Last week we saw at the end of chapter 5 that the kingdom, the empire of Babylon fell to the Medo-Persians. 
and the Medo-Persian Empire took over. The king on the throne is now Darius. Historians, in reality, they don't know who Darius is. It might be another name for King Cyrus, who is king over the whole Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, and if you go to the last verse of this chapter, the last verse reads like this. It says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. But another equally valid way of translating that, that verse is during the reign of Darius also or even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In other words, it's equating Darius and Cyrus. They are one and the same person. That is a good possibility of who this Darius is. Another possibility is it is someone else that he has put over the, the region of Babylonia, an extensive area that he needed someone to reign, and Cyrus appointed Darius to rule this region. We really don't know, and it's not essential to the story, but you do wonder who is this guy, Darius, who shows up on the page. And if you go and look in an encyclopedia, you don't find him, probably. Darius needs to organize this vast area of Babylonia. Now, as they've taken it over, they need, they need some way of governing this. That takes organization. So he, he essentially divides Babylonia, this region, into 120 districts or states or counties, whatever you want to call it, and appoints a satrap over each of these. Then over these 120 satraps, he places three governors, three high officials, uh, some Bibles say presidents, that he has as overseers of it all. And Daniel, we find, is now one of these three. It's really not part of my message, probably why I went over the first service, but I've got to throw it in now since I threw it in then. There wasn't room to fit it in, but now there is. Again, the sovereignty of God, we've seen that as a theme running through and God's care for His people. Daniel, remember when he first brought the, the Jews into Babylon, he had sent ahead of time Daniel as a captive and moved Daniel into the, uh, the second place in the kingdom. Daniel was there to provide protection for God's people and he even got, got Nebuchadnezzar to issue a decree giving religious security and freedom to the Jews. Now, Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 43 years, 23 years between Nebuchadnezzar and the, the rise here of the, the Medo-Persian Empire taking over Babylon. And in those 23 years, many kings, and we discovered last week that Daniel had been on the shelf for many of those years, if not all of those 23 years, until the last night of the Babylonian Empire, last week, chapter 5, when in the last hours, Daniel gets promoted to the second highest existing spot there, number three in the kingdom. He's there for a few hours. Why did God do that? Well, certainly to honor Daniel, but I think the whole purpose is God knows that with a new empire, a new regime coming in, He needs His man back in the saddle to watch over His people. And Daniel being in obscurity for 23 years won't be on the radar of the new guy coming in, but when he's number three, right under Nabonidus and right under Belshazzar, he kills those guys. But Daniel is a foreigner right here in the highest spot in the land. And the new guy, the new king 
moves him into his regime. Again, to provide protection, I think, for his people. My point is this, as we come now and Daniel takes on this new responsibility, the king has been observing uh, months have gone by, whether it's two, three months, maybe a year. Months have gone by and Darius looks at Daniel and he sees in Daniel, it says, an excellent spirit. Daniel stands out so much that Darius says, I'm going to make this guy over everybody. He's going to run the whole show so I can play more golf or do whatever things kings do other than rule. Daniel's going to run the show. What I see is that Daniel has exhibited a lifetime of integrity. And we're going to see several things that show up here that just reinforce what we've already seen during the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, during the time even of Belshazzar. Daniel has a lifetime of integrity. He serves with excellence. Daniel's attitude and performance, as I've just mentioned, has so impressed Darius, he gets promoted. Truly remarkable that for the, the third time now, under three different kings and in two different empires, Daniel has been made number two. The highest spot under the king. And all that while being a foreigner, a captive from Israel. And I would say that that is a record that still stands today. I don't think anyone has ever matched that. Politicians tend to come and go, and Daniel kept coming back. Not by choice that God moved him there. I want to remind us of what I said back in chapter 1 when we first noticed Daniel's excellence, when Nebuchadnezzar first noticed it. Seventy years earlier, we said this, you know, God has called for you and me to be holy. He has called us to be a separate and a distinct people, to stand out. But I don't think that God has ever called us to be weird. Even in Peter where it says we are peculiar people, what He does means from that is distinct people, not a weird people. Rather that what God has called us to be is He has called us to excellence. He has called for us to stand out. But in a right way. He says it this way in the book of Colossians. Whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We are to excel in every way that you and I are able. God followers, as we pointed out all those weeks ago, God followers should be the hardest workers, the most thorough, faithful, dependable, and trustworthy workers. We should be the best citizens. We should be cooperative and agreeable and honest and respectful. And we should be servants of others. We should be the best students. We should study hard and learn and work and respect authority. We should be the nicest of people. We should be kind. We should be helpful. We should be generous. We should be pleasant. We should be encouraging. We should be selfless. We should develop the use of our abilities and our talents and our resources and our gifts, everything to the best of our ability, whether it's music or art or whether it's, it's uh, athletics or intellect or whether it's science, whether it's our money, whatever it is, we should be using it to the best of our ability, developing it to the best of our ability, not so that we can get ahead, 
Not so that we can get credit. Not so we can get accolades from other people. We should do that because we follow Jesus Christ. It is Him we serve. And He deserves our best. So if you're a student, be a good student. If you're an athlete, be a good athlete. If you're an engineer, be a good engineer. If you're a carpenter, be a great carpenter. If you are a housewife, if you are retired, wait, wait, if you're tired, <laughs> retire well. Retire well means don't retire. It means serve God, serve others. Okay. I haven't realized I can't do that. Anyway, not surprisingly, verse 4 Daniel being promoted doesn't necessarily go well. You might have noticed in your life when you succeed, other people don't just necessarily cheer you and say, wow, that's awesome! The high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of His God. They're jealous of Him. They want to take Him down. So they look for some way to do it. They launch an all-out investigation to look for dirt on Daniel. Anything they can use to discredit him. Anything they can use against him to bring him down. But Daniel's enemies cannot refute his character. Notice the results of their investigation. It says here, They could not find a complaint or fault because he was faithful. Daniel is faithful. That means there's there's no dereliction of duty. They couldn't find a time he had he had slept in late and missed work. They couldn't find a time where he didn't follow through on the jobs that he was given. There was no negligence. There was no laziness. There was no incompetence. He said he was going to do it. He did it, and he did it well. He was faithful. Not only was he faithful, but it says they they could find no error or fault. He was faultless. There was no corruption. There was no dishonesty. No shady deals. No embarrassing scandals. No foolish statements when he had gone off the platform. The mic was still on and he said some things that were inappropriate. There were no sordid accusations could be made against this man, he was faultless. They find that he is fervent about his God. He is committed. He is passionate. Imagine if the most powerful people in the country launched a no-holds-barred investigation of you. You're in the crosshairs. They throw all their resources at you. They check your credit report, your, the police reports. They search through all your old emails and all your old texts and your social media posts. They read your snail mail. They go through your old income tax statements. They review all your credit card expenditures. They investigate your past. They go back to your school records and dig all those up. They interview teachers and principals. They look up all your old classmates, your old boyfriends and girlfriends. They look up your employers and they talk to them all. They follow you around. They listen in on your phone conversations. They they listen 
in on how you talk to your spouse. They listen on how you talk to your kids. They listen on how you talk to your parents. They know what you watch on TV. They know what you listen to on the radio. They know the videos that you rent. They know what you say. They know what you search for in the Internet. When it's all said and done, they only have three things to say. You are faithful. You are faultless. And you are fervent about your God. And you all are stunned just thinking about that. I doubt that many of us would emerge unscathed from that kind of scrutiny on every single area of our life. But Daniel did. He sets for us a marvelous example, a marvelous pattern that we should aspire to. The Apostle Peter says it like this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. The verse goes on to say, on the day that He visits us, on that day when Jesus Christ comes back, the judgment comes, they stand before God and they have to say, God, I glorify You because of the testimony of filling Your name. They were faithful, they were faultless, and they were fervent in their following of You. And I saw that. Wouldn't that be a marvelous thing to hear? But is that what people will say (laughs) when they are talking to God? Is that what they'll say about us? Well, brothers and sisters, I dare say none of us are perfect in this, but here's the thing to aim to aim at. So Peter calls us to, it's what Daniel lived out. Now you'd think at this point these folks would see this and they would say, wow! Aren't we fortunate we have a man like this in office? Can you imagine somebody like that in office in our country? Faithful, faultless, fervent for God. But in, no, that's not what they think. It makes them all the more determined we've got to get rid of this guy. He makes us look bad. They realize the only way to bring him down is to take his strength his love for God, and turn that against Him. So verse 6, these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and they said to him, O Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. It always strikes me funny when I read that. and I just realize they'd be thrown into the den of lions. There's just the assumption we just always have a den of lions sitting around. So a plot is hatched to use Daniel's love for God to entrap him. And they go to the king and they play the king like a proverbial fiddle. King, you are so awesome. You're such a great king. Everybody ought to know that. You really need to solidify the kingdom around you and your greatness. 
And so what we have done is all of us, uh, all of your governing officials, we've all gotten together and we all agree this is a great plan. You need to set up a law that really anchors you as the representatives of the God, or the representative of the gods on earth. Now what they need to do if they're going to pray, instead of praying to the gods, they pray to you who is their representative. And, and that'll really help people understand just how great you are. It'll bring everybody together. We're all good. And we all think this is a really great idea. So we took the liberty of making up a draft. Would you mind signing? Did you notice two tactics that are used to manipulate the king to get him to do what they want? It's important to notice them because still today there are people and there is our real enemy, Satan, and they love to use these same tactics to manipulate us, to get us to compromise our standards, to do things that we normally would not do, to lead us into sin. They're used today and Satan uses them because they work so well. The first is flattery. Beware. Not everyone who says to you nice things is your friend. And they can lay it on. You are so awesome. You are so this. You are so that. They lay it on and they really aren't your friend. They're trying to manipulate you to do stuff. Beware. The second thing is peer pressure. Everybody says this. The whole group, it's everybody believes this. Everybody thinks this is right. Everybody. That was a lie then. Everybody didn't think it was a good idea. They never consulted Daniel at least. And there may have been others they didn't talk to. And may I say that Almost every time, maybe every time, you hear everybody thinks this. Everybody is doing that. It's a lie. But oh, how hard it is to say no. How hard it is to say that's black when everybody says that's white. To say that's wrong when everybody says that's good. Don't be fooled. The crowd is often wrong. Whether you are 14 or 41 or 84, you're going to find these two things, flattery and peer pressure, are things that our enemy loves to use against us. Don't let those move you into sin or move you into acting unwisely. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Daniel doesn't change under pressure. Daniel didn't stop praying He didn't compromise his convictions just because they said no. Daniel got the word that the document had been signed, that the law had been enacted, and he went home and prayed. Daniel didn't suddenly start to make an effort to hide his actions. Well, I usually pray with the windows open, but I'm going to close them today. Daniel also didn't 
suddenly try doing a publicity stunt. Well, they think they're going to outlaw prayer. Well, they're not going to outlaw prayer while I'm around. I'm just going to show them I don't care. I'm going to go up to my room, throw my windows open, and start praying. That wasn't what he did. Daniel just did what he did every single day, three times a day. See, Daniel was not being here some bravado martyr, nor was he a chicken. Daniel simply did what he always did. He was a consistent, godly man. Every day I go up to my room and the reason I open my windows is because I want to face toward Jerusalem. We don't have time to go into the Old Testament Scriptures why he did that, but you go back to the dedication of the temple in the days of Solomon. And he wanted to pray toward the temple because that's where God's presence was back in the days before the temple was destroyed. And he prayed there. He wasn't putting on a show. He also wasn't going to slight God from what he was committed to do. And so he went every day, three times a day. May I say, by the way, a little note, last year I was in the Philippines with some of our frontline Filipino missionaries. They had a prayer request for us. They said, when you pray for us, would you pray? Pray that we will not fear persecution. They said, because the real danger that we face is not persecution. The danger we face is fear of persecution. said, when we are persecuted, God is with us. But when we fear persecution, we are tempted to abandon God. The danger is fear of persecution may cause us to abandon God. The danger is not persecution because God is always with us. Daniel understood that. And he did not fear. He didn't change under pressure. Next, I see that Daniel is committed to pray. Verses 10 and 11, again, those same verses. If, if you and I, I think if we desire to be Effective if we desire to have impact as servants of Christ, we need to be people of prayer. Daniel has a priority of prayer. He was obviously a busy man. You are not the, the de facto ruler, the number two guy in the kingdom who's running the show. You're not doing that if you're not a busy person. I can't imagine the demands on his time. And yet, three times a day, Morning, at noon, and at evening, Daniel would simply excuse himself from his responsibilities. He would, he would just check out and he would go into his private place, into his room, open his windows, get on his knees, and he would begin to pray. For Daniel, prayer was a priority. And he was committed to it. And it says the key words in this is that as he had done previously... Or as some other translations have it, I think, very well, as was his custom. It wasn't something he just started doing. It had been something he'd been doing since when he was a teenager and when he was brought to Babylon. He'd been faithful praying. He just kept it up. He knew that prayer was not just some spiritual exercise. It wasn't a religious ritual, but he was communicating with the person. He knew that that prayer is communication with the sovereign God who knows everything and who controls all things. The God who is in His words to Belshazzar last chapter, which was just about a year perhaps before this, where He told Belshazzar, 
The God in whose hands is your very breath. And the God in whose hands are your days. That's the God Daniel prayed to and communicated with. It's his prayer life here is where Daniel, it's where, where we'll discover here is this is where Daniel gets his strength. It's where he finds his backbone. This is where Daniel has that unshakable foundation that allows him not to panic when they make a law that says you cannot pray to anyone except the king. And where he just calmly goes on and does what he knows he must. Verse 12, Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, they shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it's the law of the Medes and the Persians, and no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. The conspirators sprang their trap. They went as soon as they knew Daniel. They knew Daniel. Interestingly enough, these men who are out to get him know Daniel's character so well, they know that Daniel will not bend. He will not budge. He will not say, you know what, I just think I'll start praying quietly and privately. Uh, I can pray lying down in my bed or uh, whatever. I, I can do it on my lunch hour instead of taking time that everybody else knows or whatever. They know he's just going to do what he always does. So they knew where to position themselves because when he goes to his window, he always does that. We can get over here and we have a good shot. We can pull out our iPhones. We can take videos. We can take pictures. They knew what to do. They come to the king. First thing they do is they verify the king had actually made it official. He had actually signed the document, closed the loopholes. Did you sign it? Yes, I did. Oh, good. Well, by the way, king, there's this guy. And we just happen to have some pictures here. <laughs> uh, you might want to throw them in the lion's den. By the way, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. And you know, king, you know the rules. It can't be undone. The king is distressed. He understands what he he's been understands he's been played. He understands the ramifications of this to Daniel, and he's come to respect and love this man. And he spends the whole rest of the day looking for some way to get him off, some way to to rescue him. See, the rule was that the execution had to happen the same day as he was found guilty. So he had till sundown. Sundown, the king has nothing and the men come in. Oh, king, just in case you have, you've forgotten, <laughs> can't be undone. you got to do it. They weren't about to let the king foil their plot by delay. Verse 15, then the king commanded... Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, 
whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fed from him. The lion's den was an underground chamber, a dungeon-like chamber. that had an opening at the top to the den below. They throw Daniel in. Remember, he's in his 80s now. Fall of 8, 10, 12 feet. That can, alone can be deadly to an 80-year-old man. Then they cover it with a large rock and they seal it with so that nobody can tamper with it. In the midst of that, though, we need to not miss a couple of things the king said. Because what we discover is that Daniel, one more thing of his integrity, he's been a faithful witness for God. Did you notice that the king said, Daniel, may your God deliver you. Darius knows that Daniel, Daniel is a worshiper of God. He doesn't really believe in this God, but he says, I hope you're right. <laughs> I, I hope your God really is true. I hope your God is able to rescue you, Daniel. He's got a pagan king cheering for the living God. He also was, he was not surprised at Daniel's testimony, at Daniel's faith. He says, your God whom you serve continually. He was well aware. You know, he didn't just at that trial go, you're a Jew? You pray every day? You continually serve this God. He knew it. It's no surprise. Daniel had witnessed to this king through his life and through his lips. All along, this king knew that Daniel's faith was not separate from his character. What impressed him of his character was because of his faith. Darius knew that. The Apostle Paul reminds us that this is our purpose. This is what we are to be. He says we are to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and depraved and a twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. That's what we're to be. When you work at your job, when you go to your classes, when you are at the neighborhood pool, when you are at the country club, when you are wherever you are, God intends for us to live as blameless, innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so the difference, the contrast between you and them, between us and them, is so dramatic that we shine like light. That we shine like stars on a dark night. And if you live a godly life, you will stand out. If you're not standing out, you're not living a godly life. Daniel was a faithful witness, even in Babylon, even under a new regime. The king 
is so distraught. He's come to respect this man so much. The king won't eat. He goes back home to his castle. He doesn't eat. He hopes the lions will follow suit. He won't be entertained. In those days, he didn't have TV, but the king had a drama troupe. He didn't have MP3s and stereos, but he had his own bands. (laughs) He had no diversions. I don't want any of it. He tried to sleep that night. He couldn't. Verse 19, At the break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? What's remarkable here, it's amazing, This king who hasn't slept all night and now he runs. The first light of day, he had to let the night go by before he could do it. First light of day, he goes running. I don't even think he took time to brush his hair, to put on his his fine robes. He goes running. I don't see here that there's any concern of looking undignified. That there's any concern of looking in any way unprofessional. He's anguished. He's not worried about looking weak or desperate. This is a sign that he really, truly has come to respect, admire, and love this man. He doesn't even get there. doesn't wait for him to move the rock, the stone. He calls out, Daniel! Can you hear me? Has your God saved you? Then from underneath the rock and down in the pit, the voice calls out, O King, live forever. Verse 21, My God sent His angel and He shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before Him. And also before you, O King, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. Daniel was taken up out of the den And no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Didn't even break his hip in a ten-foot fall down to the bottom of the pit. Daniel lived a lifetime of integrity. And what we see here is that God does not abandon Daniel. The king spent a night in anguish of worry. Daniel spent the night in safety. Apparently passing the night with an angel. Maybe even the angel of the Lord. That person who shows up repeatedly and various times through the Old Testament who is not just an angel because He is also, we discover when you look at it, He is God Himself. It is Jesus. Pre-incarnate Jesus. I think that may be who was with Daniel that night. The king had a horrible night. Daniel, I think, spent the night with Jesus. I think he was feeling good that next morning. And I say this, God will not abandon you or me either. If you're a believer in Jesus, He promised us, Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The writer of Hebrews, God says this, For He, God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 
Now that Daniel's safe, the king has a score to settle with the folks who manipulated him in their efforts to get rid of Daniel. And this is the part of the story that if you haven't read it, it's usually not told in the Sunday school thing to the kids, and you get why here. Verse 24, the king commanded and those men who had miraculously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, They, their children and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Just in case anybody thought the lions weren't hungry or they were tame or whatever, this was not the case at all. God miraculously delivered Daniel. And then for the third time in this book, a most amazing thing happens in verse 25-27. through 27. The king of a pagan empire issues a decree that's published throughout the empire giving glory to God. Verse 25, Darius wrote to all the peoples, nation, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. How do we live godly in a hostile world? As we wrap up and end the the story portion of the book, in these six chapters of Daniel, there have been stories and every single story has followed a similar pattern. And there's a message for us to learn in this. And it was important to them as Jews when they were taken into captivity in Babylon as it it was to the early believers in the first century church as it is to us today. We need this message and the message in every story has basically been the same. If God's people will stand firm for Him, He stands with them. There may be a price to pay, but ultimately, through it and in it, God will be glorified and He will honor His people. He was true 2,300 years ago with Daniel and is true today with us. And Father, we needed to hear it because the reality is that most of us are tempted to cave. When the time comes to stand, we tend to wilt. We get our eyes off You and we get our eyes on the crowd. We get our eyes on the the lion's pit, whatever it is, and we, we flake out. Father, I pray that we would learn. The message has been all through that the call is for us to be people who live lives of integrity. That there's a standing for You that comes every single day. It doesn't always have a lion's den at the end. Often the enemy is just our own weakness, our own tiredness, our own frailties, our own lusts and temptations. I pray, Father, that we would be those who live lives of integrity. That we will stand with You for you, and then 
we will discover that in those times when it's difficult, that we discover that You are standing with us. Father, that then we would be a witness to a dying and lost world. We might even have the privilege, as apparently Daniel did with Nebuchadnezzar and maybe even with Darius, of seeing pagan men who ended up giving their heart to be followers of You. Father, there's a lot of folks around us who need to hear, who need to see the love of Jesus in us. May we be those who stand firm. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.